Good morning. Is this on? All right. Good morning. Just want to welcome each of you here this morning. Good to see uh, several of our college students here this morning in town for uh, Thanksgiving break. Also, uh, for our visitors, thank you for honoring us with your presence this morning. And we also have uh, two new uh, attendees this morning, Andy and Heather Pittman, have their twins here, Becca and Jamie, so great to, to see, him, see them here this morning. Want to thank everybody who, uh, who brought food for our food drive. I uh, appreciate that, and I know that'll go to, to great use. Also, just a reminder for the church directory. Uh, pictures will continue after our morning services uh, this morning, and that'll continue through December. And those pictures will be taken in the conference room. And we would like to uh, thank Aaron Thompson for volunteering to, uh, to help with this project. Also, ne starting next Sunday, uh, we'll be having our congregational potluck. Uh, we'll be starting those back, and uh, that'll be after our morning service services, and then we'll have one uh, one p.m. service. So we'll have church, eat church again, and then also we will be starting back our service projects. So we're really excited to be able to to start back with some of these fellowship opportunities, and again that'll be next Sunday, the twenty eighth. I have a, uh, a thank you card I'd like to read. To Rome Church of Christ, JB and I would want to thank you all for the food, the flowers, and so many words of comfort during the passing of our dear son, Greg Lawson. Your kindness was so important to us. You will never know the strength we felt when you showed your love, care, and concern for us and our family. Thank you and Christian love, JB and Wanda Lawson. And they said the dishes from everyone are in the foyer. So as we prepare to, uh, to go to God in worship, I'd like to read from Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not, our, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, just thanking you, Father, for this first day of the week, which we can come again to, to worship you, Lord, to, to sing praises to you, and we're so thankful, God, that, that you are our God, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, and the hope of eternal life that we have through him and his sacrifice on the cross. And Father, we thank you for the, the church here at Rome. We thank you for each person that's here this morning and just ask your blessings upon each of them. And Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you have given us as a church as well as individuals. And, and Father, we are mindful at this time of, of so many of our numbers that are struggling with different health issues that are undergoing treatments and tests and we ask your blessings upon them at this time and and also father for those that have lost loved ones recently we continue to to lift up each of them the lost family and um, 
the Blake family and just the Jones family father, just each of them and help them during this, these difficult days and weeks. And, and Father, we are, again, just so thankful that we can approach you in prayer. We know you hear our prayers and, and we just ask that you'd be with our service this morning, Father, that everything that we do um, here this morning is, is done um, with you in mind and is pleasing in your side and that we remove all distractions from our minds, Father, and that we put our focus solely upon you. Be with Chris, Father, as he delivers the, delivers the message. Just pray you uh, help him to remember those things that he studied and, and just uh, forgive us, Father, when we do sin and fall short of your glory, Lord. It's through Jesus Christ we do pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 746. 746, when he comes in glory. <clears throat> oh, how sweet twill be to me. Next hymn this morning, number 601, Sweeter Than All, 601. We'll sing the first three verses, and then Brother Gary Leap will have our scripture reading and prayer. Christ will be his neighbor for never to fall, never to fall. Why, I find my precious Lord sweeter than all, sweeter than all. Jesus is now and ever will be sweeter than all the world to me. Since I heard his loving call, sweeter. 
The reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this day and for this time that we're able to be here, Father, and serve you. Father, we're mindful of those who aren't able to be here. We pray, Father, that, that you will bless them. And, Father, we have so many on our bulletin, Lord, in our journal that uh, have requests, prayer. And, Father, we just pray that you will be with those people. We pray, Father, that you'll continue to be with uh, Kelly Williams, that you'll be with Tanya Ward, Sean Maynard, Kent Picklesheimer, we pray you'll continue to be with Rusty Leap, Kristen Ward, Terry Swindler, Donia Henning, Diane Foss, Dottie Diamond, Dennis Haney, Beverly Wilson, Jim Schaefer. And Father, we pray that you'll continue to be with the following, Trey Davis, Charlotta Clay, Terry Egner, Ed Fisher, Eugene Stover, Eileen Stevens, and Father, we pray for our shut-ins, Father, that you continue to be with Eloise Hayes, and Larry Faulkner, John Klein, Marvin and Judy Jordan, Judy Gerald, Karina Calicote, Glenn Galloway, Yvonne Cornell, Babe Jones, John Delane, Charles Sloan, Wilma Warner, Opal Galloway, and Virginia Garlic. And Father, it's good to see Virginia here again this morning. 
Father, we pray that you will be with James Ward and his family and bless them. Continue to be with J.B. and Wanda Lawson, Father, and Susan, and, and loss of their family and, and the Blake family, that you'll bless them. Father, we are thankful that, uh, that we're able to uh, talk to you in prayer and, uh, and lift these people up, and we just pray your blessings on them this morning. Father, we ask now that you'll be with us as we continue to worship you. Father, we give you all the glory. And Father, we thank you for your son who died for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Next hymn this morning, number 859, 859, he paid a debt. He paid a debt, he did not owe, I owe a debt, I could not pay, I needed someone to wash my sins. morning. As I was thinking a couple weeks ago about what I was going to say this morning, I got to look in uh, my bookshelf and came across a book that I have, uh, and I got to reading it and looking at it and found an article in there, and it's a commentary on Matthew 26, 39 through 56. And it's titled, Not As I Will, But As You Will. As we continue to prepare our minds to partake of the emblems this morning, I'd like to read this. And may we all give thought to just exactly what he's saying here about this. Not as I will, but as you will. The scene is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was with his three beloved disciples, Peter, James, and John, is separated from the other apostles. The others are at a different location in the garden. Judas, Judas has already departed. 
Jesus is a stone's throw from the three in deep agonizing prayer. Drops of sweat like blood are coming from him. He is alone. The three are there to keep watch but are sleeping. The single event that brought him to earth is about to unfold. As the horrible mental, moral, spiritual, and physical suffering he is to endure is beginning, he says, Father, this may be too much for me to bear. Is there another way? Let this cup pass from me. Let's think about this for a moment. Was there possibly another way? Jesus knew what had been planned, but now he was experiencing the agony. Was it more than he had anticipated? In the same breath and deliberate action, Jesus will be wavering at that moment ever so briefly. A strong reminder of his humanity is coming forward. He is asking, can I handle this? Yet quickly, his complete obedience comes forth when he says, I will do what you want me to do. In other words, God, I know your power and what your choice is. Jesus himself emphasized as much to Peter that he had options when he said in verse 53, Do you think not that I could appeal to the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels? He had an ultimate decision to make. Jesus would do what God wanted and needed for him, which was a death and a sacrifice. Can you imagine 12 legions of angels, which by any account, I believe it was about 6,000 would be one legion, descending on this motley band of soldiers and Jews? Just think what one angel of God did to 185,000 Assyrians, and we find that in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. You can go there and read that. One angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. Imagine what 12 legions could do. I imagine the point being there is he could have called, called as many as were necessary. When Jesus what, what Jesus understood is that we, you and I, did not have options. A few hours later, Jesus died on that cruel cross. He lived and died experiencing the horror he had dreaded and about which he had prayed. If it was Jesus' will to do the will of his Father, what should our will be today? Should we not, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, say, not my will, God, but your will? May we always do what Jesus did and make our will subservient to him. And as we partake of the memorial, we should remember Jesus' submission to the Father's will. Thank you, Jesus, for being the obedient son that you are. And thanks be to God for giving us his son. So as we prepare to take the bread, would you bow with me as I offer thanks for it, please? Kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this time that we can partake of this bread. And Father, help us to put away anything that might distract us or tug at us at this time. Father, I ask that you bless this bread as we partake of it. And thank you again for Jesus and his life. And it's through him that I pray. Amen. Would you bow with me, please, as I offer thanks for the cup. Kind and gracious Father, we thank you for 
Jesus, for his life, for his willingness to lay it down for us, Father. We're so undeserving, but we thank you so much for that, Father. And Father, as we partake of this cup, which is representative of his blood, may we do so in a manner that is worthy. Father, thank you again for his life, for his obedience, and for you loving us enough, Father, when we were sinners and we weren't reconciled to you, that you gave us your son. Thank you so much for that, and I ask that you bless this cup to all of us. And it's through Christ that I pray. Amen. This concludes our memorial service. Another segment of our Worship Every Lord's Day morning is we have the opportunity to give back that which we've been so been richly deserved, that we've been so blessed with. And as we do, would you bow with me, please, as I offer thanks for that. The containers are at the back of the auditorium, the stands. If you'd like to, as you pass in or out, whatever's convenient for you, that's where we'll, we'll be taking up the collection. Bow with me, please. Holy Father, we thank you for what you bless us with, Father. We're blessed beyond measure for all the warmth and the comfort we have in this great building that we have to worship you for our homes, for our automobiles. Father, we live in truly the land of milk and honey, Father. It's the greatest country in the world to live, and we thank you so much for it. And even with the midst of all the things that are going on in our country, Father, it's still the greatest country to live in and the freedoms that we enjoy and help us not to take those for granted. Father, as we give, may we look at uh, our giving and may, we, may it be sacrificial, Father. Uh, may we sacrifice to give, realizing that we're only giving back not what is ours, but what you have blessed us with for a short time. Continue to be with our leadership here as they make decisions on where the money should go best. Just ask that you bless them, and we thank you for them. Bless our contribution today, Father, and thank you again for Jesus. And it's through him that I pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again, and we'll sing hymn number 634. The Great Physician. It's at this time that the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. We'll sing the first three. Sing the first three. The great physician now is near, the sympathizing Jesus. He speaks the drooping heart to cheer, oh, hear the voice of Jesus. Sweetest love in Sarah's song, sweetest faithful mortal love, sweetest Savior's name, I love the name 
Invitation hymn this morning, number 687. 687. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, winter has come, hasn't it? Uh, we are here. Welcome back, winter. I get tired of all the hot, so I like the winter. Bring on the snow. Keep the ice, though. Uh, also wanted to mention that uh, next Sunday uh, evening, uh, around 1 o'clock, we'll be having our service projects, like Mike mentioned, after our 1 o'clock service. Uh, we'll be visiting some of our homebound members um, and, uh, and uh, hand, uh, making some, um, some things to hand out to some of the homeless folks uh, in, in our area. So. Uh, be aware of that. We'll be looking forward to that. I think the uh, the bulletin article Sunday will detail some of those activities, and so you'll know where to go and when to go and who to see about all those different things uh, as well. Be aware that uh, uh, Margaret Wilgus is also one of our shut-ins, and was kind of, uh, I guess, uh, she was left off the list. So we wanted to be aware of, of her, and so you can be praying for her as well. When I was in grad school... Um, one of my professors uh, was fond of calling my name up because he would know I didn't know the answer to this question. He would say, what, what's this passage mean? What, what, what's significant about this passage? French, what do you think? And I would stumble through some answer and it was probably incoherent at the time. And he would say, yep, you need to go back to Greek class. He's just a rough guy. And that, that was his answer. You need to go back to Greek class because if you could read it in Greek, if you could see it in the original language, you would see why it was so significant, why it was so special. Something's different about that passage. And that is true here in our passage this morning that's before us in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. There's something significant that we miss in, in English, and I guarantee uh, you've missed it. If you have not read this in the original, you probably just skipped over it. In fact, I've read through this passage several times this week. And until I looked at it in the original, I uh, didn't notice this. So uh, this is one of those passages that, that you're probably so familiar with that you just kind of, it just rolls off your tongue. You don't even have to think about this passage to, to be able to read it. But you have to think about this passage to be able to read it, right? We've talked about that a lot in the past. These, these words are God's words, and they, every single one of them, are important. And you cannot um, just roll past any one of them. Today's passage is no uh, different than, than the rest. So look, look here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. <clears throat> this first sentence, this first part of the first sentence. He says, since then we have a great high priest. 
in, in Hebrew or in Greek, he's literally saying, we have a high, high priest. You ever talk to a kid and, and asked, how far away is the moon? Or how far away is Granny's house? What are they going to say? What's well, a million billion hours away? A uh, million billion, hundred thousand million miles, you know, or hours. Well, they don't have the vocabulary to be able to explain just yet how far away that thing is. And so they just start making up these numbers uh, with these descriptions and you get the sense of what they're trying to convey, right? That's kind of what we're dealing with here as the Hebrew writer, an eloquent man. Uh, a guy who is intelligent and is cultured and has incredible rhetoric skills is at a loss for words when he goes to describe Jesus' place for, our, for, for us. What role does Jesus play in our lives? Well, he says he's a high, high priest, which brings to our minds the high priest, doesn't it? Um, perhaps you're familiar with the high priest in the Old Testament under the Mosaical Law. This man certainly was. The guy who wrote Hebrews is certainly aware uh, of the high priest. And the people that he's writing to are acquainted with uh, the rituals that belong to the Mosaical Covenant. And so when he says we have a high, high priest, their minds automatically went back to the high priest. He's saying Jesus is so superb to, this, to that man. Uh, exponentially more incredibly great. Adjectives fail. Even this eloquent writer, speaker, to be able to describe Jesus in this particular role. If it were not for the book of Hebrews, we would not know that Jesus has this role for us. Isn't that kind of incredible? None of the rest of the New Testament spells out Jesus' high priestly role, the mediatorial role that he plays for us between us and God. But Hebrews, it's what he focuses on. It's, it's his wheelhouse. It's what he wants us to think about. It's the thing that he think and thinks encourages us the most. Remember, he's writing a word of encouragement. He says that to us in Hebrews 13. He's writing to, I beleaguered people. People who are, you ever seen that, that, um, that uh, poster of the cat? It's this little kitten and it's hanging on to, to the last little part of the rope. That, that's the, how I envision the people of Hebrews. They, they're, just, they're holding on to the last little tendril of that rope. And, and they're holding on for everything that they got, but they're falling away and the Hebrew writer says hold on in fact he's going to phrase it hold fast right and you're going to see that again in our passage today but that's what he wants you to think about hold fast hold on hold on tight Uh, and one of the things that he thinks will help us the most is the fact that Jesus is our high high priest and so what is the role of the high priest uh, under the mosaical law what did this guy do? What were his responsibilities? Well, he would uh, make sacrifices throughout the day, uh, and several, he had several administrative purposes as well, uh, as serving as the spiritual leader of Israel. This, this high priest is not just any old Levite. He is himself a Levite, coming, descending from the tribe of Levi. But the high priest was a specific family. In Levi, remember Moses, uh, Moses' brother Aaron was the first high priest, and so every high priest from then on out had to be from Aaron's family. It's called an Aaronic uh, priesthood, and so every pre- every high priest that served was a direct descendant of the first high priest, Moses' brother Aaron, and so every priest is a Levite. Every high priest is a descendant of 
of, uh, of Aaron. And so this man's job was to go into the temple, especially on the Day of Atonement. He was the only one who could go in. He would not be wearing uh, his normal vestments. Normally the high priest was resplendent in his robes. They were, they were opulent. They were uh, expensive. Uh, they were showy. Not on this day. On this day, he divested himself of all those garments, of all that glory, uh, and he put on simple white linen uh, tunic and garb. That's all, that's all he had. It was very, uh, a very humble thing. And he would go into the, the uh, most holy place. The temple is set up, it's, uh, bisected into two different rooms. The holy place where uh, all of the Levites could go, and then the most holy place where only one Levite could go, this man, the descendant of Aaron, known as the high priest, would come into the most holy place. But before he could come in, he had to get a censer. It's just a bowl. It's got some fire in it. And he would stick the fire through the veil. Remember, the, the temple is set up so that um, there is a massive veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. And so he would stick his arm as far as he could, as far as, his, as long as his face wasn't uh, through the veil. He would stick his arm through the veil, and the censer would, uh, smoke would fill the most holy place. And it was just one more shield to keep man away from God. The temple itself, The temple itself, uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but it had shields uh, itself even beyond this veil. But that, uh, that censer was one of the shields that protected man from God. Um, that's going to be important. So when, when the Hebrew writer says we have a great high priest, a high, high priest, he's envisioning this incredible responsibility that Jesus has for us. Uh, he is greater than this high priest. Jesus made a one-time sacrifice, his own sinless body, uh, and was finished because his sacrifice was perfect, while the former high priest had to sacrifice for their own sins every single year. They had to make a sacrifice for their own sins so that they could come into the presence of a just and holy God. If those shields had not been there, they would have been obliterated because they had sinned, even though they had been sacrificed for. Uh, and so when the Hebrew writer says we have a high, high priest, a great high priest, he's literally saying, I'm at a loss for words. I don't know how to describe the role that Jesus is portraying for us here. Um, but it is significant more than the high priest uh, could ever possibly hope to give us this, this link between us and God. That's what the high priest was. And under the Mosaic Covenant, he was a link between the people and Yahweh. Without him, they could not come to Yahweh. He was the one who offered sacrifices for them. He was the one who mediated between them and God. He was the one who stood in the presence of God and then went back to the people and said, this is what God wants for you. He was their spiritual leader. The Hebrew writer says, Jesus and his role in your life makes that guy 
and his responsibilities for us look silly. He blows them out of the water. Here's why. We have a high, high priest who has passed through the heavens. Let's stop right there again and let's think about what he means there. Uh, the Jews thought that there were seven heavens that you work your way up through. The Hebrew writer says, doesn't tell whether that's true or not, and just walks through that and says, Jesus has gone through all of them and is standing right in the presence of God. He's right next to him. He has unfettered access to the Father. That's why he can be a high, high priest. At least it's one of the reasons why he can be the high, high priest, because he has unfettered access to the Father. The original high priest, remember, he would come into the, uh, the holy place, just pictured here, uh, the, Ark of the, Co- the box is the Ark of the Covenant, the angels on top of it have their wings uh, coming in towards each other, and in between that is where God's presence was said to have lived. But it's a symbol, right? It's a symbol. It's a shadow of what the reality actually is. The Hebrew writer says Jesus has done away with that. He's not in the most holy place uh, here on earth. He is in God's throne room because he's passed through these heavens and he's standing there right next to the Father. And so when you cry out to God, Jesus is right there so that he can explain to the Father what's, what, what we're feeling. Listen to what else he says, though. Jesus, the Son of God. In case you missed who the high priest was, it's Jesus, the Son of God. Now, again, those are words that we might be tempted to, to go through very quickly, aren't they? Because we're pretty familiar with the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So you have to stop and ask yourself to a guy who was writing or speaking this, this sermon why does he see it significant enough to remind us that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's our high priest? He's got to be proving a point here, doesn't he? And so it seems to me that maybe he's drawing out that Jesus is human. What was Jesus' name before the incarnation? Before he was born of Mary, before his name was Jesus, what was his name? Because he existed before that. He is the incarnate God in the form of Jesus, but he's eternal. He has always been So what was his name before he was born of Mary? His name was Yahweh. He is God, 100%. And that's what he brings to our attention here with the Son of God. He's reminding us of Jesus' deity. What is deity capable of? This writer has already reminded us throughout the book of Hebrews of the power, especially in creation, of God, where his power is seen in clear display. He can do whatever he wants. He's breathed out stars at at the speed of light to create everything we know. With words, he spoke it into being, and it was. This God is capable of doing whatever he wishes. Now, that's important to a people who are struggling, isn't it? To a people who think they have lost everything, whose families have turned their backs on them, whose businesses have turned their backs on them, who have lost everything, who have made sacrifices for God. But they haven't seen them come through for him just yet. And so they're wondering, 
is it worth it? Is it worth it to continue making these sacrifices? Is, is he just going to let me down? The Hebrew writer says, he is God. He will be faithful. And he is capable of sustaining you through this thing, getting you through this season in your life. He is capable of, Paul would say in Ephesians, holding that which you've entrusted to him. Your soul. Everything that is you, you've entrusted to him. And he brought it because he's, he's capable of holding all of that. More than that even though, focus back on his name, Jesus. It's his human name. And so what's that remind us? That he knows exactly what you're going through. If you just lost someone you love, Jesus has been there. We've even got accounts of that. In John 11, he weeps at the, at the uh, graveside of his friend Lazarus. He knows exactly what it's like to lose someone like that, doesn't he? Sometimes people will say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. They don't know exactly how you feel, do they? Even though they may have lost a brother or a son or a daughter, father or mother, cousin, even though they may have lost someone in that relation, they don't know exactly how you feel because their relationship's different, isn't it? They don't know exactly how you feel, but he does. Thanks to his divinity, he knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly how it feels to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be hurt for his faith. He knows exactly what it's like to be tempted by sin, right? I was grateful that Jerry read for us are directing our minds back to the Garden of Gethsemane uh, this morning. Because at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus experiences one of his greatest temptations, doesn't he? It's the one time in Scripture where we're told that he says, I don't want what you want, Father. The one time in human history where God wanted something, Yahweh the Father wanted something, and Jesus the Son did not want that same thing. This is a pivotal moment in history, isn't it? When that pivotal moment happens, we need to sit up and pay attention because something big is going on here. And then almost immediately Jesus says, I don't want what you want, but your will be done. I give in. I now want what you want because I know that your plans for me are better than what I want. And so that's something we need to get a hold of. But there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's being tempted Everything that Satan can throw at him, all that humanity, all the parts of us that don't want to die, all the parts of us that are scared uh, and uh, want to fight back or want to hurt someone, all that stuff had to be riling up inside of him, just like you would be if you were in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing what was about to happen. He's there. That's where his mind is. All those temptations are coming to bear. He knows exactly what you're feeling when you're being tempted, when you're hurting, when you're living a daily life, he gets it. Mark tells us in his gospel, uh, when uh, Jesus is being tempted during those 40 days in the wilderness, that the temptations were constant. He didn't have a reprieve all throughout those 40 days. Matthew and Luke give us three quintessential, I suppose, temptations that Jesus was, was tempted with. Of course, he never gave into those things. He was perfectly sinless. 
Um, but he's tempted with those things. And so his temptation, stop and think about it for a second, would be more significant than yours. You know why? Because we give in to those things, don't we? We give in to the sin. What happens if you don't give in to it? It intensifies, doesn't it? And it intensifies more. The longer you stay away from it, the more it intensifies until you come to a breaking point where you don't have to deal with that particular sin anymore. You kind of put it, push it away. It doesn't Satan's found that it doesn't work, so he's going to try a different tactic. But Jesus felt the full temptation, the full intensity of every temptation because he never gave into a single one of them. So if you're being tempted, when you're being tempted, he knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly how you feel because he's been there. That's, that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to remind us of when, he's, when he calls Jesus by his human name here. But then it reminds us that he's the son of God. So that not only does he know what you're feeling, but he has the power to help. Right? He knows what you're feeling and he has the power to help because he's the creator God. And he's in the presence of the Father. And so if you ask for it, Help is on the way. Why don't we ask for it more often? Why do we struggle with that? If we ask, help is on the way. And so we need to hold fast to our confession. There's that word I promised you, hold fast. Think of the, the cat at the end of the rope. He's just holding on with everything he's got. He says, that's, that's what you need to do. You need to hold on tight. Hang on tight to your confession. What does that mean, you think? What's this idea of confession? You find that term throughout Scripture. I suppose <clears throat> what the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to us here uh, is that Jesus is worth whatever you have to give up to hang on to him. We've heard that a lot throughout this, throughout this series, uh, even this far into it. But that's what the Hebrew writer keeps coming back to. Jesus is worth whatever you have to give up to hang on to him. And so that's our confession. That if, if I have to give up my life to hold on to him, I got the good end of the deal. If I have to sacrifice every day of my life to hold on to him so I don't deny him, so I don't betray him, I get the good end of the deal there. So I hold on, I hold fast to my confession that he is everything that's good in life, everything that's helpful, everything that's beautiful. He is that. This is the, the, the tabernacle, uh, the precursor to the temple. You'll notice all of the, uh, uh, the different shields, if we can think about them like that, that, that were on the outside of the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, they've got all these different types of, of um, fabric and, and uh, animal skins that are shielding the people from Yahweh. Yahweh lives inside the tabernacle. He lived inside the temple. And these things were to shield the people from a just and righteous God because if he lashes out against, if he comes in contact with rebellious and sinful people, condemnation and destruction will be all that is left uh, for us. And so, thanks to Jesus... We now have 
unfettered access to the Father. We don't have to go through this anymore. All the shields have been removed. There's no more need for the high priest to stick his hand through the, the, the veil in the most holy place to fill the temple, to fill the, the, the most holy place with smoke so that he can come before God's presence. Jesus is already there. And when you pray, he relates your needs to the Father in such a way as to say, I've been there. I know exactly what they're going through. So when we pray, asking for help in our time of need, Jesus is nodding because he knows the pressure of that temptation thanks to his humanity. And he's right there next to the Father thanks to his passing through the heavens so we can relate our troubles to him and we can get the help we need to overcome that temptation thanks to his divinity. And so we hold fast to our confession. It's the picture of Peter uh, there in John chapter 6, verse 66 when Jesus has this hard teaching, this difficult teaching, and a lot of the disciples walk away from him. And Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, are you going to go away as well? And Peter has this incredible revelation. He sticks his foot in his mouth all the time, right? But sometimes he just hits the nail on the head. He looks at Jesus and says, where, where would I go? You know, where would we go? No one else has the words of life. That's the conclusion the Hebrew writer wants you to come to. Life here is hard, right? Remember, they're holding on, but just barely. And he's encouraging them to keep on holding fast. Because where else can you go? Jesus has the words of life. And so, we draw near. Listen to what he says throughout the rest of this passage. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse 16 has several things that we need to talk about. Uh, let's, let's focus on this, this idea of drawing near to the throne of grace first. The way he phrases this, we should always be drawing near. Just like you take a breath, just like your heart beats, just like you blink. All these things are almost are involuntary actions, right? He says you should always be drawing near. Always be in his presence. Always be looking for him, praying to him. Always be working towards drawing closer to him. It'd be like the high priest under the Mosaical law leaving the most holy place after making the sacrifice only to turn around and re-enter the most holy place because he doesn't want to leave. Why on earth would we have access to this incredible thing that Jesus has done for us? Not only passing through the heavens, giving us unfettered access to the Father, but then having a mediator who knows exactly what we, under, what we need, who understands exactly what we need. Why on earth would we walk away from that? He says you need to constantly be drawing near to him. And we can do that with confidence. This word confidence, underline this word because you're going to want to do a study on this word. 
it's, it's where we get our idea of freedom, from, freedom of speech from. So in the Greek world, you would go to a town hall meeting and they would say, well, what do you think? And you would stand up and you would tell them what you thought. We have town hall meetings sometimes in this area, right? So you stand up and you say what you think. And it's without limit. Like you can, you can say whatever you want, right? That's, that's what the Hebrew writer here is reminding us of. When he says you can draw near with confidence. He says he wants you to talk to him. And he wants you to unburden yourself to him. He wants to know exactly what you're thinking, exactly what you're feeling. What are you going through? You can give that to him with confidence, right? The next word you need to know is this throne of grace. This is the only time in all of Scripture where throne of grace is mentioned. Isn't that incredible? Sometimes the Hebrew writer does this for us. He, he comes up with a word that's completely different than, uh, and not used any other time in all of Scripture. And this is one of those instances this idea of throne of grace, what would be the alternative? What would be the opposite of a throne of grace? A throne of judgment, maybe? A throne of condemnation? A throne of justice? Because without Jesus, we demand condemnation. We demand obliteration. We demand wrath, fury. Without him, that's what's for us. The Hebrew writer reminds us that we have him in spades. We have Jesus in the most magnificent fashion possible. Not only is he a savior, which the rest of the New Testament outlines in resplendent fashion. But he's also a high priest, one who stands right next to the Father in glory, but who also understands exactly what you're going through. And he says, you can come to him whenever you want to, and you can say whatever you want to. Isn't that amazing? In fact, he wants you to constantly be there saying whatever you want to say. Impressive, right? Because this is a throne of grace, thanks to Jesus' work on the cross. If you're not a Christian, you don't have this ability. It's not a throne of grace for you. Remember, the Hebrew writer is writing to a group of Christians who, while they are just barely holding on, they're still holding on. If you've not been baptized into Christ, this is not a throne of grace for you. This is a throne of justice, a throne of wrath, a throne of fury. It's a throne you need to run from. In Revelation, uh, when he pictures the second coming, he, he says people ran into caves and underneath rocks looking for a way of escape, but there was no way of escape. There was only justice and wrath and fury. Happily, Jesus offers a way out of that wrath and fury of God. It's not a difficult thing. He says, if you want away from that wrath, you be baptized. You have your sins washed away. You're immersed in water. 
thanks to your obedience, God washes all your former sins away. And then it is a throne of grace where you can constantly draw near, constantly unload your heart on him to a Savior who is right next to God's side and who knows exactly what you're going through. Remember, Hebrews is all about, is Jesus worth it? Is it worth it to hold on? Is it worth it to make all the sacrifices that I made for him? And the Hebrew writer yet again says a resounding yes. Because the alternative is incomprehensible. Wrath and fury. He does not want to give to his people. He does not want to give to mankind. He wants grace. He wants to offer mercy and grace. But sin has to be dealt with. And so what's your option today? Will it be washed away or will it be condemned at the end of time? I'm pleading with you, allow him to wash it away. Be baptized into his blood. Have your sins washed away so that you can approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in your time of need. This morning, if you've already done, uh, done that and been baptized into Christ and you're struggling with the sins of this world, getting distracted of not constantly drawing near, not taking opportunity with the incredible grace that he's given us. Why not make that right this morning as we stand and sing? Good morning, church family. 
Tell you what, it's great to see all our college kids back at home. It's uh, great to see them safely home for Thanksgiving, and I know there's going to be a lot more traveling. Uh, remember to keep those in our prayers, the ones that are traveling uh, home for the holidays. Um, if you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to visit with us this morning. Um, if you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card, uh, it's in the pew in front of you. Uh, please take a moment to fill one of these out and uh, hand it to one of the members next to you. Um, We'd love to have a record of your attendance um, and stick around so we can get to know you a little bit more. Um, Special thanks to everyone who's helped out with the Thanksgiving uh, food drive. Uh, This will go through all the way through December. Um, And I know at the office lately we've had a lot of calls in lately to help a lot of families out. So remember to continue to uh, uh, keep supporting our annual food drive. Uh, that will go continue through December. Also, as uh, Mike mentioned earlier, we will be taking pictures for the new directory uh, in the conference room. Um, please help us out with uh, getting this uh, task done. It will be going all the way through the month of December. Um, we will also be checking addresses and phone numbers. A lot of things have changed. Uh, either you've moved or you don't have a home number anymore and you've just gone strictly to cell phone. But a lot of things have changed with that. But uh, we'll be taking uh, new directory pictures in the conference room. Also, we've started a toy drive. Um, this will be going on through November, um, through December. 17th will be the last day. Uh, if you're wondering where these toys go to, they go to Hoops Hospital. Uh, it is a, a children's wing at Cabell Hospital. Um, and we usually pass out the toys uh, to, to the children. I'm not sure if we'll be able to pass the toys out. I haven't heard yet, but, um, you know, these kids during the holidays are stuck in the hospital, and, um, and they have so much joy when they're receiving a gift uh, uh, for, for the holidays, but uh, we'd love uh, for you to help out with that. It's a new toys and unopened toys, so, but that's going on through December 17th. Um, Wednesday night will be our Thanksgiving devotional at 7 o'clock. There will be no um, Bible classes that evening, Um, so we'll have have a small devotional singing uh, for that. Also, uh, tonight will be our third Sunday singing. Uh, There's a sign out in the foyer. Um, You can write down your favorite song and your favorite hymn, um, and we'll be more than happy to sing that song to you. Uh, do that before you leave because the song leaders will uh, take that home after services this morning and um, start, start the list and get everything ready um, for that. Uh, teachers are still needed for Wednesday night starting December 1st. I need uh, teachers for two years old through kindergarten and also third through fifth grade. If you can help out with that, please sign up on the four-year board. Also, our prayers go out to uh, the Lawson family, the Jones family, the Blake family, and the Thompson family for losing uh, loved ones this past week. Uh, Remember to continue to keep them in your prayers. Also, um, I know we had a a thank you card from the Lawson family this morning at Mike Red. I also have another thank you card. It says, My Church Family. Thank you for the prayers, the cards, and food. We never cease to know or understand the love shown during hard times, but we will gladly take it. Love, Norma. And this will be posted out in the four-year board as well. 
Uh, remember, continue to keep uh, Sean Maynard, that's uh, Gail Hewitt's son, in your prayers. He's experiencing tumors at this time, and uh, he has several doctor's appointments to figure out what's, uh, what's causing those tumors. So remember to continue to keep him in your prayers. Also, remember to continue to keep Kelly Williams in your prayers as she continues with her cancer treatments. Uh, Dottie Diamond, uh, as Terry Diamond's wife, uh, has been diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. So prayers are requested for them as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have at this time. Uh, don't forget to grab a bulletin on your way out. We have so many other activities going on and so many other, other uh, members that are needing prayers during this time. Um, and remember to continue to keep all those who are traveling this week in your prayers and let them get um, their destinations. And if I don't see you again, I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving and a safe one. I will sing one more song. We dismissed in prayer. Let us please stand. We'll sing hymn number 602, Sweet By and By. We'll sing the first and third verse, and then Brother Greg Sullivan will have a prayer. There's a land that is never to And by faith we can sing it For the Father and children To prepare Let us pray. To Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to have the opportunity to come here today, study from your word, and to worship you, Lord. And we pray that the things we've done here today is pleasing to you and in, and in accordance with your word. Father, there are many that are on our sick list here at the church in the bulletin and many more on our hearts and minds, Lord, who are suffering or Lord, we just pray that you'll continue blessing them if it should be your will. Bless them according to their needs. Father, we are a blessed people. We live in the greatest country in the world, and there just seems to be so much turmoil nowadays that uh, we just ask you to be with our leaders and, and those who make our laws and those in, who enforce our laws and 
and those who have leadership roles, Lord, both locally and nationally, we just pray, Lord, that you'll be with us and, and continue blessing us as a free people. Father, we're truly blessed to have you to catch us when we stumble and to pick us up when we fall. But most of all, Lord, we're thankful that you're there to forgive us when we sin. We ask you to be with us as we go on our separate ways back to our homes. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice that he gave and the hope that it gives us to have a home in heaven with you someday. Again, be with us and bless us and forgive us. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And amen.